<clears throat> so we're continuing our our uh, trek through uh, Philippians, which uh, for being one of the shorter books in the New Testament, it has still has quite a bit to offer. <clears throat> Granted, I was gone last week, so we had a little week break there. But um, we're in chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. <clears throat> so starting with uh, verse 12 there, and it will read a little different in yours. Uh, your guys' is NIV, and this is CSB. Um, <clears throat> Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, therefore, like we talked about before, when you see therefore, it's including everything that he had just talked about. So what did he just talk about since we had that week break? It was that humility and that sacrifice that Christ made coming down to earth, taking the form of a man. That's the therefore. The humility that we are to, to strive for. <clears throat> and the other thing to mention here though, that is as you're reading these, these are clearly, as he says here, dear friends, he's not talking to just some average Joe on the street, right? He's talking to the church that he started in Philippi. He's talking to believers. So this message is for believers. <clears throat> An unbeliever probably won't completely understand this spiritually. <clears throat> and he ties together what's going on here. If you notice, he says, just as you have always obeyed. It's a tie-in back to verse chapter 2, verse 8, speaking of Christ's obedience. So here's Christ's obedience, and then here's ours. <clears throat> and he speaks of this not only while he's watching, not only while an apostle of the Lord is there with them, but when he's not there, he's expecting or hoping for the same. <clears throat> Just like, uh, I don't know, like when you've taught your children something, you hope... We hope and pray that they act that way when you're not watching them. Same thing. <clears throat> Though I often wonder because everyone says that ours are angels at school and they are not at home. So I don't know how that works exactly. <clears throat> now, when you're reading this, like I said before, uh, Scripture does not exist in isolation you can't just look at one verse and completely get the meaning from it. Uh, scripture is a whole. It's one whole message. And sometimes if you look at something just as a single verse, you might, you might think a little strangely on it. Uh, part of this here is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, for one thing, the fear and trembling part here is he's talking to believers. He's not talking to somebody who has not attained salvation. So that fear and trembling that he's speaking of, it's not the fear and trembling of a guilty sinner. 
It's the fear and trembling of somebody before the holy God, an awe of their God. That's so. There's a little bit of a caveat there, <clears throat> but when he talks about working it out, some people can misconstrue this because it makes it sound like you're working for your own salvation there. But when you take scripture as a whole, Paul would never say something like that. He knows. And he says in other places that Christ has done all the work for us. There's nothing that we can do. So when he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, he's talking about you are saved. Show it. Show your fruit. Walk in the light. Love the Lord. Obey His commandments as best as you can, right? These are the things that he's talking about when he says, work out your salvation. Because you cannot earn it. <clears throat> it's always important to remember that part because Christ has done the work for us. So we work not for salvation, but because of salvation. That's the, the thing to remember when you're seeing verses like this. Because if you were to just glance over it, you might think that it was talking about earning it. <clears throat> In verse 13 here. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. This is part of that, you know, I've said before how there are just parts of God that are a mystery that we're not going to understand completely. Well, this is part of it right here because He's telling Paul is telling people that we are to work out our, good, our salvation, show our salvation, do those things that a saved person would do. But then in the very next line, he says that uh, God is working in you and his, He is willing you and He is working through you. So it's an enigma. It's, it's kind of hard to understand there. But God is working through us and because of that, we have an increased responsibility that we would not have had had we been unsaved. Because at one point, God was not in you. you were, your temple was not inhabited, inhabited by the Lord. Now it is. So He is working through us, and we are working because of that. And it's... Maybe just for me, but in, in some ways it's kind of hard to understand when you think about it too long. It gives you a little bit of a headache. <laughs> but Jesus talks about this, and He alludes to this in other, in other parts of Scripture. I want to read a, a spot out of Matthew that talks about this, but when you first look at it, you, you don't quite get that it does. Um, it's in Matthew, and you don't have to flip to it, but Matthew 25, 14-30. I'm going to read through it real quick here, and it's, it's a lot, but it'll make sense at the end here. It says, For it is just like a man to go on a journey. He called, on, he called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents. Talents is, is money. He gave five talents. To another he gave two talents. To another he gave one talent, depending on each one's ability. Now, to start off with right here, to understand this, you have to understand how much a talent is. Um, 
Back then, a talent was equivalent to about 20 years of wages for one, one uh, laborer. So this is a lot of money in this parable here. It is not just somebody got slipped five bucks, and this is a lot of dough. <clears throat> the one who had the least amount of money here still is holding 20 years worth of wages in his hands. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of money. So immediately the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the, one who, the man with two earned two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five presented his five more talents, and the master said, You gave me five talents. And said to the master, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many more. Share your master's joy. The, the man with the two talents also approached. Master, you gave me two. See, I've earned two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. You can see where this is going. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So he gives it back to him. His master replied, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received back, received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. For throw his good for nothing for throw this good for nothing servant into outer darkness, where there we weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so they're holding a lot of money. The the thing is, like we've said before in parables, they are not what they seem. The parable, the money, is God's grace, his goodness that he's giving to people. So the two first people, they took that and they went and they continued to work and to spread spread the gospel, to bring others in, to do God's work. The other man hid it away, sat away, did nothing with what was given to him, selfishly held on to that grace and that goodness from God. That is what is being explained here. You see, you can't use God's sovereignty and grace as an excuse to sit and do nothing, is what this is saying. God gives us good things, we work good things, is what the point of all that is. <clears throat> so, verse 14 through 16 here. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children, blameless and pure children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run 
or labor, labor for nothing. <clears throat> he speaks of the grumbling and the arguing, which we talked about in the earlier verses. They had some issues in Philippi internally, and he's been trying to explain to them that they need to squash them, basically. But he speaks of something that relates to us directly. He talks about the crooked and perverse generation. Now, we like to think that things are worse today than they were, than they were yesterday, that they were in our parents' generations. Things have, people have always been the way people are. Uh, luckily or unluckily for us, we have cable news and things like that, and we see everything exactly when it happens. So, But they had the same issues back then. There's nothing new under the sun. But when they talk about perverse, when you see perverse here, Maybe it's because of the way our society is. We automatically think of perversion as in like a sexual nature. A lot of people's minds will drift that way. But perversion, while it can mean that, is a deviation from God's intended purpose on something. That is a perversion of what God has given us or what God has said for us to be. So when they say perversion on here, there's a lot of things that can be a perversion. Perversions are mentioned in Scripture, though. There are, like we've said before, the most obvious. The most obvious is sexual perversion. Romans talks about that in chapter 1, in 26-32. It says, For this reason God delivered them over to be to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, the men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind. So yes, the most obvious one is that case, and we of course have that today um, Every commercial that you turn on talks about gay marriage, talks about transsexuals, things like that. So, same issues going on today. Um, there's <clears throat> the Bible speaks of of marriage quite clearly, even though a lot of people will say that it doesn't. Genesis two twenty four says this is why after he this is after the creation of man and woman. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. But then you hear the people, well, Jesus never ever said anything about that, even though Jesus was there in Genesis. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 5 through 8, Jesus says, says he wrote this command. This was speaking of uh, divorce. He wrote this command because of you, because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So do we have the same issues that they were having back then? Yes. We, um, you know, we, in fact, maybe a little bit more in the legal aspect because we have, we have gay marriage now. Some people are pull, pushing for polyamorous marriage, which is you know, three or more people in a marriage. <clears throat> there are other preclusions that are 
that happen in, in other faiths, which I would say are perhaps a perversion because we have some faiths who will say that a priest can't marry. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. So in a way, that's a perversion as well. <clears throat> and I think it's the same for nuns, right? At least in the Catholic faith. <clears throat> um, Ephesians 5.4 talks of another perversion. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather give thanks. So that's speaking of the perversion of speech. Um, as a former railroader, I can tell you that's very hard. Um, it's just kind of, that's a battle for some people. <clears throat> what about justice, though? That's a really important one. In Proverbs uh, chapter 11, it says, Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is His delight. We have vastly wrong scales of justice nowadays. And I'm sure they had the same back then. But I mean, if you are the right skin color, sometimes you can get away with a lot of murder. Not technically murder, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you can get hired for a job that somebody with lighter skin couldn't get because they needed to fill a quota. That's an injustice. So we have all sorts of injustices as well that go on still today. And the one that really kind of irks me, and we don't see it much around here, but we are made in the image of God, whether people recognize it or not. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. But even more so in Psalms 139, chapter thir uh, verse 13 through 15, it says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. So if that's true, why are there people running around trying to convince you that you can be born in the wrong body? That you can be a man who was born in a woman's body, or vice versa. That we can be giving hormone blockers to little children so that they can change and become the other sex. <clears throat> we're either made in the image of God or we're not. Now that verse, let me kind of get back to it real quick. <clears throat> it did also say here at the end, uh, near the end of it, that among you who shine like the stars in the world, holding firm to the word of life, that is our key in this perverted generation, right? In any perverted generation. Holding firm to that word of life. Now, when you, if you go through a study Bible in there, that can also be translated as holding forth, holding before you. So what, what they're saying here, though, is how vitally important it is to hold firm to that word of life when you're in trials, 
when you're in sorrow, pain, when you've lost somebody, when you have a testing of your will. But you're also to hold firm to it when you have boons in your life, when you have blessings. And I think that that's the part that sometimes we forget a little bit. But you hold firm to it, and you hold it forth because it is what leads you, not yourself, if you want to have a spiritual life. So verse 17 and 18. But even even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This is an example right here where Paul, earlier he had talked about the humility of Christ, the, the going to the cross, and he's saying, I'm going to take that example, and if, if I'm to die for the cross, then so be it. And he rejoices for it. <clears throat> and he's trying to push... He's trying to tell the Philippians that they need to understand this mindset and that they need to have it with him and not mourn for him if something were to happen. Because as much as it probably did scare Paul, he knows that this is the ultimate sacrifice that he could make, is to die for the gospel. So, 19 through uh, 22 here. Now I hope in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be, so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. Seek, all seek their own interests, not those in Christ in Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry, like a son with a father. So he wants news of the ministry. he's Remember, he's sitting incarcerated on a house arrest right now in Rome still. And he's going to send Timothy to get some news. Because, like any other pastor, Paul likes to hear the good news of his congregants. It's encouraging for him. That's why I bug you guys about blessings. And one of these days, I'm going to get them out of you. Because it makes the person up here feel good to know that you're recognizing those things in your life. And he wants to hear about them too from the Philippians. That's what's going on there. He wants to hear their blessings. He wants to hear their testimonies of how God is working in them. And he places a lot of emphasis on Timothy here. Timothy was not an apostle, but he went with Paul on a, on a lot of his mission. So Timothy was somebody who Paul vouched for. And like Paul, Timothy would eventually take this faith to his death. They think that somewhere around A.D. 97, when Timothy was about 80 years old, he tried to stop a procession in honor of a false god And the pagans got a hold of him, and they dragged him through the streets and stoned him to death. So Paul was talking about somebody who took his faith very seriously here when he talks about Timothy. Timothy was not someone to back off on the name of Christ. 
So, 23 through 26 here. Therefore, I hope to send him soon as, as soon as I see how things are going with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I consider it necessary to send you Ephroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard he was sick. So now he speaks of Ephroditus here, and he speaks highly of him as well, because those are a lot of things that most people would be okay with hearing, that he is a brother in the Lord, that he is a co-worker in a job that they are doing, and that he is a soldier in a battle that they are fighting, though not a physical battle. <clears throat> and he was sick to bring this message. He speaks on it a little bit more here in 27, where he says, Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So, he... He had gotten sick bringing a message to Paul and bringing a, uh, a gift to Paul from the Philippians. Paul did not, and, like, and this is not unexpected of anybody really, but he did not want the sorrow of knowing that this guy brought this gift from this church and then he died because of it due to whatever illness. So that's what he's trying to get across there. <clears throat> but he finishes out the statement here on 28 through 30 and then we'll be finished there. For this reason, I am eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold him like hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So a couple things in that part here. Ephroditus basically he just he got the tithe, they, they had a tithe gift that they were taking to Paul because being on house arrest for probably over a year now he didn't exactly have a means of income so they were sending this to help him something happened to Ephroditus when he was going he possibly became very sick almost died could have been more just of an exertion thing we don't really know because it doesn't really say but this is stating here that even the most menial-seeming task in church is still the Lord's work. Because all he was doing was delivering something and delivering news. But Paul is saying that this was still the Lord's work. And that's something that people sometimes forget. Anybody working for the Lord is, something, is, is a good thing. Whether you're doing the books, whether it's somebody who comes in and cleans up after, whether it's somebody up here who's the lowest one, um, whether somebody doing the lawn outside, it doesn't matter. It's all the Lord's work. But Paul had a serious need, and Ephroditus almost died to, to bring that in so that the Philippians, so that their, their good intentions would finally come through as a needed gift for Paul. That's what was going on there.